Well, happy Easter again. And then, and I know, I know that this is Easter and it's supposed to be a, a big celebration, but I just got to say this. I miss you. I miss you. I miss right now not saying he is risen and hearing you say he's risen indeed. I miss that. I, I miss not seeing you all dressed up today. So many of you, you dress up for Easter. In fact, my, my uh, youngest daughter, teenage daughter, she, she calls Easter Christian prom, she says. Christian prom. You know, Elijah, I miss your high fives. And Audrey, I miss your hugs. In fact, kids, I miss all of you. And teens, too. I miss seeing you. I miss checking up with you, finding out how your games went. I miss finding out those of you who got your license or a new job. And Aiden, I miss hearing your latest MMA injury report. I miss you. I miss seeing everyone, connecting around coffee and cookies. I miss seeing those times when people come out of that door that leads to the track and they look around and they're like, what is this thing? I miss that. I miss seeing how so many of the small churches now are starting to sit together on Sundays. And I miss, I miss looking down the front row there and seeing Sue and saying, Sue, scooch over. I miss that. I miss having our full band and, and seeing the crew that sets it all up and checking in with you guys. You guys make things sound so good. I miss seeing the kids team getting everything all ready and then welcoming the kids and welcoming the families when they come. I miss seeing the welcome team trying to figure out where do the signs go this week. I miss seeing people picking up those, packing up and putting everything into our big black bins getting them in the elevator and putting it all away. I miss you. I miss seeing people going home with their first Bible. I miss seeing people praying for each other, with each other. Brian, I know that today, if you were here, there would be at least a couple times where I'd get an amen. And Mary, I'm pretty sure after the service, you'd come up with some encouraging thing to say. I miss you. I miss you. I miss our special friend, Rick who at least once during this message would complete one of my sentences for me. I miss you. I miss all of you. And I'm so thankful. I am so, so, so thankful that you're letting me see you during this time. Thank you so much for the gift of posting those pictures. I love it. I especially love those pictures of those, the kids in front of the, the screen last week with Palm Sunday and they're waving their, their branches. You know, I, I, I thank you. Thank you for sending your prayer requests. Thank you. Thank you for those of you who flooded my inbox last week with all of those I am willings. Thank you. It was a gift. It's been so good to see so many of you those way, in those ways. And I wish all of you, I wish all of you could see what's happening off camera with our church. All the ways that people are connecting and caring for one another during these challenging times. I wish you could see the way that our team is coming around people and, and we're, we're trying to help people navigate these weddings that were scheduled to happen during this time and, and checking in with those who are sick and helping those who've lost their jobs and, 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 and learning how do we facilitate funerals during this time. I wish you could see, in fact, I wish all of you could see how people at our church were supporting one another who are experiencing fear and anxiety and loneliness tension at home and this whole new love-hate relationship with Zoom. I wish all of you could see. I wish all of you could see how we're stepping up to really help our partners to not just say, oh, here's what we think our partners would like and do things that make us feel good, but actually check in with our partners. How can we help you? How can we serve you? How can we serve you? I also wish you really, 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 really wish you could have been there. We had a conversation with the elders 
And we spent a lot of time talking about how do we care for the elderly, especially those who are especially vulnerable and isolated at this time. Way to step up. Way to step up, church. I am so encouraged by what I can see during this season. Most of all, so encouraged that when I huddled up first with our senior staff and then with the elders in the PRC and we talked about these Sundays that were coming up, Palm Sunday and then Good Friday and then Easter Sunday, I am so encouraged that there was zero talk, zero about the show must go on unless we were joking about that. It was all about how do we help people anchor, anchor to something real, something solid, something firm during a time like this. The word of God says this, 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. When people look for hope outside of the faith, and there's a whole lot of people looking for hope, and a lot of them are looking outside the faith, at best, they're looking to people who can only offer hope for this life. Only looking to people who maybe can buy them a little more time. No wonder there's so much fear. No wonder there's so much anxiety. Well, this morning, let's anchor to the hope we have in the one who defeated death and the grave. If you have your Bible with you this morning, let's open up to the Gospel of John. Chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to look at John's Easter account here today. Here we go. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Remember that. And she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. All right, let's talk about this a little bit. Anyone remember how John opened up in chapter 1? It opened like this. In the beginning, John wrote, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him, all things were made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, that's how he opens. It sure sounds a lot like Genesis 1. All right, where does chapter 20 open? We are almost to the end. All we got left is John 21. We're almost to the end. And, and, and what happens? How does this chapter open? It opens at a tomb and it opens in the dark. What happened right before this? The light of the world had been extinguished and darkness had fallen on the earth. But, 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 now a new day was about to begin. Now, Mary doesn't see this yet. Nobody sees this yet. All she can see is what she can see with her physical eyes. And this sight of an empty tomb in the dark, it left her distraught. It left her confused. And we see this as we carry on here. Um, let's go with verses 2 
and two through four, two through four. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to him, said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. All right. There are some really big things in this passage, like the fact that women were the first witnesses to the resurrection, some big things, but I always get distracted by what John put in there. This whole thing about, yeah, we both started out running and uh, I got there first. I don't know why. It cracks me up every time. Always distracts me that it's in there. But we're going to get back on track here. We're going to get back on track. Verses 5 through 7. All right. 5 through 7 says this. All right. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. Oh, I'm already getting ahead of myself here. Uh, oh. Yeah, no, here I go. I'm still going. All right, I'm going to go all the way though to verse 7. And the faith, let me, let me start back in 6 and I'll get to 7 here. Then Simon Peter came, following him. They went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, just as I got distracted with the whole thing earlier about um, John saying, hey, I, I beat Peter, some of you parents right now, you might have been a little distracted here when you see this whole part about, hey, look, come on, Jesus folded up his stuff, kids. But we're all going to get back on track here, all of us, all right? So here we go, back on track, verses 8 through 10. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also went in and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead then the disciples went back to their homes. All right, the boys went back home, but Mary stayed. And oh, oh, she was glad that she did. This is, these are verses 11 through 13. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look down into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, Women, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. All right. Now, right after this, which is a pretty remarkable passage anyway, right after this, something happens that I, I don't understand. Certainly not fully. Maybe this makes sense to you. I am not sure what's going on here. All right, let's go verses 14 and 15. Here's this, this I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with this. So having said this to these angels, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll, and I'll, I'll take him away. All right. What do we do with this? Now, Jesus, he starts by asking the same question that the angels asked, and that is, why are you weeping? But then he adds a second question, whom are you seeking? And she looks at Jesus, and she thinks he's the gardener. What do you do with that? There's a place to write this in your notes if you downloaded those earlier. On that first Sunday, 
many of Jesus' disciples didn't recognize him. That doesn't just happen here. It happens in several different places. Some of those who knew him best didn't recognize him. Now, this week, earlier on, I pulled a, a whole lot of books off my shelf to see what others did with this, and there is no consensus on what's going on here. It's a best guess situation. Verse 1 says it was still dark, so some go with the whole bad lighting theory. It was too dark to see that it was really Jesus. Although some time had passed from verse 1 uh, to verse 15. Uh, some of my commentaries said this. They said it was, it was Mary's deep sense of shock and loss. And for evidence, they say, hey, when she went in and she saw two angels, she doesn't even appear to be phased by that. So maybe that she was just so emotionally distraught that, that she was just not fully herself. So some say that. Others hold to what I call the avatar theory. And they go with this whole idea of, come on, when Jesus was resurrected, he had a body that could do all kinds of new things, and it, it looked kind of like him, but maybe not fully like him. And maybe that was going on. Now, one of the challenges there is that Jesus' pre-resurrection body, he could walk on water with that. So, so there's those challenges. Well, there's another source. Another source went this direction. They said when Mary identified Jesus as the gardener, she wasn't that far off, they said. Jesus is the new Adam. He's in a new garden. He's bringing order from chaos bearing good fruit. So, I mean, there's all these different theories. I'm not sure what's going on. But again, this isn't the only place where we see this, where those who knew Jesus best didn't recognize him after his resurrection. Now, there is one passage that sheds light on a similar occurrence, and they actually say what happened in that specific situation. You can find that one in Luke chapter 24. It was Easter morning, two followers of Jesus. They were walking on this road to a village called Emmaus. And the word says that Jesus, quote, drew near. And he walked with them, but, quote, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And they didn't recognize who it was until he explained what happened to him as according with the scriptures, and he broke bread then their eyes were open. Now, we're not sure then if this is what was going on with Mary because the Bible doesn't spell it out. We're not sure. So let's go back to what we do know. What we do know. John chapter 20, let's go to verse 16. Jesus then said to her, Mary, and she turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. All right, this is beautiful. This is actionable. You know, in a global pandemic, I'm not sure anybody cares if you can defend an avatar theory. I don't think anybody really cares, but how many of you need, know somebody right now who really needs to know a God who knows their name? There's a God. He will meet you where you are. For those of us who rose to the challenge of reading the Gospels through Lent, you may have had one of these, this is that moments as you were reading this and you came to this part where Mary hears the voice and, and she hears her name and, and she recognizes it's her Savior. In chapter 10, what did Jesus say about his sheep? He said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I experienced that for the first time in high school. And man, it was a challenging word. I didn't want to listen to it. But that challenging word changed my life. And it led ultimately to the founding here of Emmanuel. Jesus invites us 
to learn how do we discern the voice of the shepherd? Why would we not put that invitation, saying yes to that invitation? Why would we not put that up at the top of our priority list? As I try to listen to the voice of the shepherd each and every week when I try to bring you these words, this week as I was doing my best to try to discern what, what did he want to say to us now, this is, I believe, it. And there's a place to write this in your notes. Earlier we said, on that first Easter Sunday, many of Jesus' disciples, they didn't recognize him. When we're together again, will we look different too? I think that's our shepherd's word for us this Easter. When we emerge from our homes, when we are able to meet together again, are we going to be a little more unrecognizable in good ways? What if, what if this pandemic perspective wakes us up and it draws us even closer to Christ and in the weeks ahead, we start looking more and more and more like Jesus than ever before to the point where people that we know, in fact, some of the people that know us best, they start saying things like, there's something different about you. And it's not because we look shaggier because we haven't had a haircut in two months. But, but, but it's different than that. Back in chapter 3, John, the author of this gospel, he sent some time talking to John the Baptist or about John the Baptist. And as more and more people began to turn to Jesus, some of John the Baptist's followers, they said, hey, John, remember that man that you baptized? Well, it seems like everybody's going over to him as if that was a problem. To which John said this, John three thirty. He must increase, I must decrease. John understood what the world needed the most was not another influencer who was trying to say, look like me and promoting self. They needed to see Christ. Boy, when I think of Christ-like, a member of the ECC family that I think of is Carol Rollins. Many of you knew Carol. I asked her husband, Rich, if I could share this with you. On Sunday, when we asked for people to respond back with an I am willing at the end of the message, Carol was one of those. And I hadn't talked to her for a while, so I emailed her back and I said, hey, how are you doing? How, how, how's Rich? Well, I'm, and she, she wrote back to me and I'll, I'll share that in a little bit. But she was one that had said that, I'm willing. Well, on Monday, she was helping a friend and she collapsed to the ground. She'd had a stroke and she didn't recover. And on Tuesday, she went home. Carol knew Jesus. She knew him really, really, really well. And wherever she went, she brought Christ with her to people. This is a copy of the, the, the last words that, that she shared with me. Um, I mentioned earlier there that, that I had reached out and then she got back to me and here's what she said. She said, we're fine. I hosted a Bible study last Thursday via Zoom, the wonders of technology. And then she said this, these are her last words to me. She said, enjoy the sunshine. Why doesn't that sound a lot like her? And wouldn't those be beautiful last words to someone else from us too? 
especially in dark times like these, to point people towards light. Well, one day after sharing these words I mentioned, she had her stroke, and as Carol's eyes reopened, I believe that she saw the face of her Savior, and I believe he smiled, and he wiped that last tear from her eye, and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. We're going to miss Carol. But we need not grieve like those who have no hope. Just as our church family, eventually, we're going we're gonna to all be united again together under one roof. There will come a day when people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, we are all going to be united, all of us, in a kingdom where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more death. There are people that need to know that there is a Savior who knows you by name and he wants to lead you home. And how will they know if no one tells him? And that tells them. And this brings us back to our text. Let's go verses 17 through 18. This is, this is what Jesus then has us do as his followers as we encounter this resurrected Christ. Uh, verse 17, this, Jesus says this to Mary. Jesus says to her, Do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God, your God. Mary Magdalene, she went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and said that he had said these things to her. Jesus sent Mary with a message for the disciples. Mary didn't understand everything still, but what she did know is that Jesus told her to tell others about him, and she did. Let's go on, verse 19, and here we'll read through 22. On the evening of that day, on the first day of the week, the doors being locked, the, the disciples were there for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his, his, his side. Then the disciples were glad and they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them once again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you want to see something interesting, do a keyword search of the word send and sent in the book of John. You're going to find they are used a lot, more than 50 times. And about 40 of those times are about God sending Jesus. So we have all these examples of this over and over and over again. Well, what does John say here? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. There's a place to write this in your notes. As the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends us. I don't know about you. I feel so unequipped to do that. The world is supposed to see Jesus when they see us. If you feel unequipped, you are in good company. Because so did a fisherman named John. So did a tax collector named Matthew. So did this woman named Mary Magdalene who once had these demons that were cast out of her. So did Peter who had just betrayed Jesus a couple days before. Here's the thing. There's a place to write this in your notes also. The Son doesn't send us out alone. You're not alone in this. 
We have his Holy Spirit, and that is the same Holy Spirit that he breathed on his followers on that first Easter morning. We have each other, our church family. And here's what it was that hit me on the Good Friday service. If you watched the Good Friday service, you anticipated, I should say, the Good Friday service, you saw this unfold. I didn't plan to say any of this part I'm about to describe right now. That was not in my notes at all. Something hit me during that Good Friday service. When it hit me, my plan was, I was just, we were towards the end of the service. We were going to be now releasing families and individuals to participate in Holy Communion together. So I was just going to be praying a prayer of discernment. Hey, Father, give wisdom to the parents. Is this the first time maybe for some of these people to have communion? So I'm, that's what I was planning to pray. And then it was as if God opened my heart a little bit up, opened up a bit and, and just poured his heart into it, a very specific part of his heart. As I was praying, you know, and I was thinking about all of us being separated right now in our own homes, just it overcame me that, boy, that's how it is for churches, isn't it? That God's people, his bigger family is separated. And the reason I got choked up, it was as if I could feel what it feels like when you're a parent and your kids are estranged from one another. And it just hit me. And, and so instead of being prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, oh, and by the way, here's some words you could use, or being prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, oh, here are some actual mechanics of communion that you could try. It was as if none of that was nearly as important as the bigger thing. And that is that God wants to see his people coming together coming together. We're not alone. And it won't surprise me as, as we take these next steps together into this new normal, this new future, if we're not going to be working more closely with more churches than ever before. It won't surprise me at all. There's going to be a whole lot of things that will be true of our new normal. And they need to be because we are stepping into a world that is changed. It's changed, and it calls for a resurrection in us, too. Boy, there are so many things that I miss about the way things were. There are so many things that right now, church family, you're doing so well. And, and when we get back together under the same roof, I hope you look different. I hope I look different. I hope we all look different because this world will need us too. I hope we all look more like Christ. Here's the last thing I want to invite you to write down this morning. Let's commit right now to the pursuit of a new kingdom normal. We may not know what, in fact, we don't. We don't know all that that will look like, but let's commit to whatever it is we're in. We're in. A global pandemic has a way of waking people up. And as people's lives are being shaken, they are looking. So many are looking for a strong source of strength and hope. So we're going to pick up right here next week with a series that we're going to call our New Kingdom Normal. In our Lent series, we laid out this big picture framework about the way of Jesus. And we said, let's, let's do that. Let's make it our own. Now we're going to zero in. Let's zero in on practical application of that. And I want to hear from you. 
please send me emails, chris at emmanuel.church. Let me know how we can help you the most. Where are those areas where you personally or your family feels the most disconnect between the life that Jesus describes and what we're experiencing? Also, some of you, that gap is pretty close together. When If you're finding things that are working for you, that are bringing you closer to Jesus, send those our way too because we want to take the best of the best from the Word of God, from what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. Let's bring it together. Let's figure out what God would have us do to look more and more like Christ as individuals, more and more like Christ together. By the power of the Holy Spirit, let's build lives that make others say, you look different. I want more of what you have. And they say that because they can see the resurrected Christ in us. And we are able, because it's real, we are able to invite them sincerely and authentically to experience more of the Son. As we seal this season that we've been in and we fix our eyes on the season ahead, this is a great song to do that with. So I'm going to pray and invite the worship band to come and to seal this time with a song that we launched Lent with. It's a great one. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you stepped into our world so that we could see you, that we could see you and we could see what a life that honors God looks like and we could see what what we are capable of through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we become these resurrection people who live lives that reflect what happened and Father, that, that we can be about the things that you want to happen now. Thank you, Father. Thank you for giving us these words. Thank you for giving us this hope. And thank you that we can experience your presence in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Have a happy Easter.